This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 13. Are you excited to be back in Exodus? Man, I'm so excited. Exodus 13. Even before we planted the trails, I knew that I wanted to do an annual family camp together as a congregation. Family camps seem to be a great way for a new church to get not only quality time together, but quantity time together, a lot of time together. And so the summer before we planted, um, our family, along with a handful of other families, ventured out to Sky Ranch Camp in Westcliff, Colorado. We were seeing if that would be uh, an appropriate place for us to go. Uh, So Jamie and the kids and I went up a few days early to get some time with just our family. So when it came time for camp to begin, we were only, uh, our map app said just three hours from our destination. Three hours away, that's just a little mini trip. And so we just leisurely took our time, we stopped and had a good lunch, Um, we were in no hurry. Things were going great when GPS told us we were just minutes away from our destination. There was only one problem. We noticed that there were no signs of life. There were no markers that you would expect to see, like, Christian camp this way. No people anywhere. Uh, We were just parked on a red dirt road in front of a dusty field surrounded by barren mountains. Our kids were so excited to get there, but the GPS had led us to this place where there was no camp found at all. Somehow, I had put in a different address than the one they had given us, Um, or probably my phone messed up, more likely. And so uh, our new route said that we were still an hour away from where we were supposed to be. Um, As every traveling dad knows, who never gets lost, is just geographically challenged from time to time. We had to, I had to remind myself, all things work together for good for those who love God, called according to his purposes. This is how you take a verse out of context, just like this. <laughs> and so we plugged in the address and uh, headed to camp the long way. Well, as we drop into the unfolding story of God redeeming his people, we rejoin the children of Israel on their journey from the tears and bitterness of Egypt to the milk and honey of the promised land. The last scene that we looked at in our study of Exodus, God flexed his power through ten signs and wonders so that the Israelites and the Egyptians alike would know that he was God. The Israelites, who are now a free people, are standing on the edge of the wilderness making their way to a new life. However... Instead of God leading them the shortest way to their ultimate destination, which is Canaan, the Lord, in his wisdom, leads them the long way home. And it's on this divine trail that God will teach his beloved people what it looks like to trust him in ways that they could not yet imagine. Even as early as two weeks from now, we will see the Lord prove his power over Pharaoh and Egypt once and for all. The little scene we're looking at today caused me this week to 
step back and think about my own life, how many times that I have wanted to take the quick path, the way that seemed the best, the easiest, and yet I have learned and am continuing to learn that God's ways are not my ways, but they are always the best way. Perhaps you're learning this as well. How often God leads his beloved people on long paths, even into the wildernesses of life, in order to teach us to trust him. David's son Solomon gets at this in Proverbs 16, 9, when he writes, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So my question to help direct our thinking this morning is this. What lessons has God taught you through the unexpected detours of your life? What lessons has God taught you on the unexpected detours of your life? The paragraph we're looking at, this six verses, Exodus 13, verses 17 through 22, sketch out how God's plan of redemption was not merely to deliver his people and then leave them on their own to figure things out. Rather, he would lead them every step of the way. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob had taken this group of people to be his chosen people who would now know the leading of his mighty hand, to see the strength of his faithfulness, to enjoy the nearness of his presence. There are three comforts I'd like to outline that God gives to his people long ago that are comforts that we too have been given in Christ. First, the Lord will lead us. We see this in verse 17 and 18. Second, the Lord is faithful. Verse 19. And finally, the Lord is with us. Verses 20 through 22. Let me invite you to stand your feet once more as we read from God's holy and inerrant word. Though written long ago, speaks to us today. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up to the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of, cloud of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The grass withers and the flower fades. This life will soon pass, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Would you please be seated? The first comfort drawn from our passage is that the Lord will lead us. We pick up the story reminded that while Pharaoh's role was to let God's people go, God's role was to lead them all the way home. Now, there were a couple of ways to get from where they were in Egypt to the promised land. 
There was the way of the Philistines and the way of the wilderness. Now, in this map from the ESV Study Bible, we see a little bit of where they are. I'll be your momentary Vanna White. So here they are in Ramses. We know this from the book of Numbers. And so there's two ways. This way up here is the way of the Philistines. This, goes, this is like taking um, the tollway down to Dallas. These are like text dot roads. They're well manicured. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to going this way. Uh, this way is like driving down Preston Road with stoplights every quarter mile <laughs> all the way down. Uh, and this, this is a different way. We'll get to this in a minute. And then they've got a pop. Then all, you see up here in the top right, Canaan is where they're headed. So two ways, the way of the Philistines and the way of the wilderness. Well, the way of the Philistines was the easier path to travel, except for a couple of drawbacks. First, there were Egyptian military bases dotting that path that were frightening. This is where they would store military equipment and flex their might to people along the way. Also, there were giants in the land, giant Philistines hungry for war. Still, if they took this way, the map shows that they could arrive in less than two weeks instead of who knows how long it takes them to eventually arrive in Canaan. How long? 40 years. So scholars say they could have made it in two weeks had they made it through instead of the 40 years it takes them to eventually arrive. That might have been the shortest way, but it was not the way that God had planned for his people. You see, God knew his people, and he knew what was best for his people. He knew that if they went the quick way, they would be uh, soon to encounter danger on that path, and they would change their minds about following the Lord and want to retreat to slavery in Egypt. We'll actually see them do this next week, as early as next week, for other reasons. But the Lord knows his people. He knows what's best for his people. So he doesn't lead them the way of the Philistines. Instead, he led his people through the way of the wilderness, south along the Red Sea until they reached Mount Sinai. They would be hemmed in between a desert and the Red Sea, which will come into factor next week. So along the way, God is going to demonstrate on this path his provision, his power, his leading hand again and again. And we can't miss that it was God who led his people. This is no small detail. The Lord who had appointed their redemption had also appointed every step they would take. Not just in some general sense, but on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis, God would direct their steps. We are a led people. God leads and directs our lives. This paragraph teaches us that. It both begins and ends with this idea of God leading us, making this the main point of this paragraph. That we know and worship the leading and guiding and redeeming God. Moses also tells us that this, while they, while they would not be fighting straight away, that they were, you see the phrase there in most translations, equipped for battle. Now the Hebrew phrase of this uh, tells us really what was happening here is they were leaving in an orderly fashion like a military. Like an army marches through the land, the children of Yahweh were marching through the wilderness led by his loving hand. What a picture. So before we move on, let's just have a mini Thanksgiving for a moment. 
Like we heard in the call to worship this morning, Psalm 124, if it had not been for the Lord, dot, dot, dot. David says, if it had not been the Lord was on our side, the enemies of God would have swallowed us whole. He's borrowing language from what we'll see in a couple of weeks. And then he calls on all the people of God to think about this reality. If it had not been for the Lord's steadfast love at work in your life, where would you be today? If it had not been for his attending mercies, who would you be today? God has led you. If you're in Christ, God has led you to that knowledge. God has led you to himself. He has led you through his kindness to repentance of your sin. He has led you to newness of life in Christ. And then think about all of the blessings that we enjoy in this world. If you're married, God led you to your spouse. If you know the blessing of children, God led you to enjoy that blessing. In your vocation, that wasn't just by happenstance or by some counselor your junior year of high school that told you you would be a good ditch digger. No, God led you to your vocation. God has led you every step of the way, even when you could not see his hand at work. He has led you. And he will continue to lead you. You have full confidence of that. Because it's based on the character of God. So thank him this morning for his leading hand. Even through the seeming detours of your life where you thought you were going the long way or the wrong way. In the rearview mirror you see that ultimately it was the Lord's way. So thank the Lord even for the trials that you've endured. Knowing that even each trial will in the end have taught you of Christ's faithfulness to you and brought you closer to him. The Lord has led you. No one sings of this more perfectly than Fanny Crosby. This is what she wrote. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. God does all things well. He leads us. The second comfort from our passage is that the Lord is faithful. Verse 19. This includes a seemingly small detail that is anything but small, as Moses calls to our minds the great story of redemption that God is writing. The mention of Moses taking Joseph's bones with him is an intentional widening of the lens from this passage so that we might see the totality of the faithfulness of God in the great story of redemption that he is writing. When the Israelites were delivered from the oppression of Pharaoh, they didn't leave with just gold and jewelry and thousand-count cotton Egyptian thread sheets. They left with a coffin holding Joseph's bones. Why is that significant? Well, like many times already, this is meant to draw our attention back to the book of Genesis. Remember we said that this, uh, the whole book of Exodus starts with this word, wall, which means and. 
Exodus is the continuing story of Genesis. Genesis chapter 37 through 50, a significant part of it, tells the story of Joseph. If you've never read that, I encourage you to do so. It's a wonderful story of God's faithfulness, even in the midst of tremendous brokenness. Joseph was the son of Jacob, the great-grandson of Abraham, who was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery to none other than Egyptians. And then through a series of dream interpretations, Joseph goes from a slave camp to the royal court, and before you know it, is the second most powerful man in Egypt. Ultimately, through a famine back in the land of God, uh, his siblings come to him looking for help, and he extends forgiveness to them. The most beautiful picture of forgiveness within a family, maybe in the scripture. And there in Egypt, God provides for his people. They're not in his place yet, in what will be their permanent land, but they are still in Egypt. And so he makes his brothers promise him that one day they would take his bones back to Canaan so that he might be buried with his fathers. Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 through 26, records the conversation as he says to his brothers this, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, he's in Egypt, bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Well, we find an echo of that text in our text today, right here in verse 19. So circle your thoughts around the phrase, God will surely visit you. What do you think that statement means? God will surely visit you? Joseph knew a time of hardship was coming, a time of suffering was coming for his people, but that God would visit them and work mightily in their lives. Well, how did Joseph know that? Well, his great-grandpa told him so. His great-grandpa's name was Abram, later changed to Abraham. And this is what great-grandpa said in Genesis chapter 15, Verse 13, this is what God said to him, rather. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Is that not what we have seen over these last weeks in our study of Exodus? That God is faithful to his promises. That the promise he made to Abraham is now being fulfilled through the life of Moses, all the way back to Moses, that God's delivering his people after 400 years. So it came to pass that Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac he had Jacob, and Jacob he had Joseph and his 11 brothers. And it came to pass that these 400 years of affliction had been God's plan from the beginning so that he might make himself known as the great redeemer of his people. And it came to pass that this baby boy named Moses was born under the oppressive rule of a different pharaoh and was placed in the Nile River in order to try to escape death. That This Egyptian princess pulls him out of that river 
And that baby would grow to be the great deliverer of the people of God, the very one who would bring the bones of Joseph out of Egypt toward the promised land. He wouldn't take them all the way, but he would take them on the way. Why? All of this so that in the perfect timing of God, Moses and the Israelites and you and I today would see that all God has said will surely come to pass. Every promise he has written as as sure as the setting sun. For it is God's very word. And he cannot tell a lie. The Lord is faithful to his word. And the Lord is faithful to his people. God has kept his word. That's what Moses is wanting you and I to read. He has visited his people as he swept into Egypt and led them out with his mighty hand. Joshua's bones would ultimately be buried in the hills of Shechem, safely within the promised land. That's recorded for us in Joshua 24, 32. Joseph is a reminder to us in his life and here in his death of the faithfulness of God that drives the whole story of Scripture. Moses includes this one little detail of their travel plans Because God's people would need to be reminded again and again and again that he is the faithful God and he will keep his word. This week I thought about the old Stephen Curtis Chapman song I sang as a boy. Our Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything he has said he will do. Every morning his mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. As we think about the faithfulness of God to his promises and to his people, I wonder what lingering doubts there are sitting in the corner of your mind. As you think about the faithfulness of God revealed in Scripture, revealed in Christ, evidenced in your own life, I wonder what lingering doubts are still there. And today, if you might look to Three places. Look to the word of God and see its truthfulness. Look to Christ where every promise of God is fulfilled. Yes and amen. And look to your own life to see if you haven't known and experienced the faithfulness of God thus far in your life. The Lord promised hundreds of years earlier, before this, that he would deliver his people from Egypt. The Lord promised hundreds of years before that, that one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent, and God keeps his word. God promised these things, things that we're still prone to doubt. God promised, if you confess your sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, not most of your unrighteousness, but all of it. God has promised that, and God keeps his promise. God has promised that by faith that he would adopt us as sons and daughters. He would call us his own, that the benefits of the new covenant, he would write his word on our hearts, and God keeps his promise. God has promised that he would place within us his Holy Spirit and pour out to us the riches of Christ. And God keeps his promises. God has promised that one day the trump will resound and the Lord will descend. And even so, it will be well for all of us who are in Christ. God keeps his promises. 
And for everyone who is outside of Christ, who are enemies of God, he has promised a day of judgment where forever you'll be sentenced to an eternity separated from him in a real place called hell. And God keeps his promises. But it's not too late. See, God promises that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and profess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And so today we call on you to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior. And God has promised that he will save you. God keeps his promises. Why? Because the Lord is faithful. And while there may be more still to find, the final comfort I'll draw from our text this morning is that the Lord is with us. As we arrive at these verses, we come face to face with more than a natural phenomenon. We behold a divine revelation. This pillar of cloud and fire is nothing short of God revealing himself to his people. How God would lead them and how he would make his presence known to guide them is here explained through a pillar of cloud and fire that would remain with them for 40 years. We typically think about this pillar of fire and cloud as two different structures, two different creations. Exodus 14.24 seems to describe it as one single pillar that was visible by day as a cloud and by night as fire. By day, this pillar of cloud would defend Israel, both as a warning to their enemies and, often, and also from the heat of the Mideastern sun. Psalm 105.39 seems to get at that. And then at night, this cloud formation was filled with fire to shine the presence of God during the night as a visible symbol that God was in their midst. Day and night. Night and day. Those two words create an all-encompassing, enveloping scope of God's presence with his people around the clock. Not a minute would pass when God would not be with them, where his presence would not be near them. For the people of God, this cloud was no small thing. Even though they were traveling an unmarked path to a future that none of them could yet understand, there was no reason to fear because God himself was near. There is no reason to fear when God is near. These signs were to encourage the Israelites as they were led and protected from their enemies. Israel never forgot this miraculous experience. We, the people of God, have never forgotten this miraculous experience. Theologians call this pillar of cloud and fire a theophany. Theophany. A theophany is an appearance of God. It's a God appearing in the Bible. It's God revealing himself to mankind in a visible way. This isn't the first time we've seen this already in Exodus. The first one we saw was back in Exodus 3 where Moses was standing face to face with God in the presence of this burning bush where the fiery holiness of God was made known to Moses. 
Here, it's not only Moses that experiences this, but the circle is widened and all of the people of God, as it were, are coming face to face with the fiery holiness, the fiery presence of God. And we're not done with this either. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 and 19, we are headed for the holy presence of God swirling and twirling around Mount Sinai as God makes covenant with his people, giving them his word. And there... They will tremble in holy fear and reverence of God's nearness. And there we've reached the end of this little prologue. And that's, that's exactly what this is. This little paragraph, verses 17 through 22, is really just a prologue. It's an introduction to what we will see unfold in chapters eight, 14 through 18. And if... This is just introduction of the care and companionship God means to show his people. Imagine what awaits us in the storyline. God's plan of redemption was not merely to deliver his people and leave them on their own to figure it out, but to lead them every step of the way with his presence. God going before his people. His protection, his provision, his presence. And we will see all of those things come to light in the coming weeks. God is with us. One of the most regular benedictions that we read as a church is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, which Paul writes this as he closes out his second letter. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You see, these people of old had a cloud by day, but we have been given the presence of the triune God, not just around us, but even in us, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God has taken up residence in us. And yes, they had a pillar that led them by day and night in in the path that they were to know, but what has God given us? The light of his word and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit. We've been given everything that we need to follow God as his people, hemmed in with his presence before and behind, and side to side. What confidence is that meant to give us? Great confidence. What comfort is ours in knowing that even in the midst of the most challenging situations of this life, God is with us. You might say, well, my marriage is really broken. Like, we barely made it here talking. We are out in separate cars. But God is with you. Or there's a situation with my teenage kid, and I don't have the answers. God is with you. Or I look at my life, and I'm just, like, plagued with fear as I think about my vocation or where I'm going to live or what I'm going to accomplish. God Almighty The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is with you. That is the comfort that bolsters us as the people of God. God himself is with us. The maker and sustainer of all things is by our side. The prayer that I've prayed most often for my life over the last four years, I started to pray this about the time we set out to plant the trails is God, would you go before us? 
And I've prayed that for my life. I've prayed that for you, for us as a church community. Like he went before Moses and the people of old, that God would supernaturally go before us in our lives individually and in our life collectively. And woven into that prayer is a request that God would lead us, that we would know the strong steering hand of the Lord in our decision making, in our planning, in our dreaming, that we would know the faithfulness of God with each step we take as we continue to look at the promises of his word, that his presence would go with us, that we would know the nearness of God in our lives and in our life as this people known as the Trails Church. And so I just want to invite us into praying that prayer this morning. We, we, this is the text that was in my mind when I started praying that. And this is what I'm still praying for us. This is what I'm still praying for you each week when I work through the membership directory, praying for you by name, that God would go before you, that he would lead you, that you would come to know his promises and faithfulness in deeper ways than ever before. And that you would be thoroughly convinced that God is with you. We would stake our very lives on that. Let's pray for his help. God, I do pray that you would go before us as your people. The way that you attended the saints of old, that you would attend us daily with the light of your word, the ministry of your spirit, the fellowship of the saints. That we would be a people who we look not to our wisdom, but look to your leading. We trust not in our plans, but in your plan for us. That don't shortcut and look for the easy way, but just trust you with the seeming detours of our lives. And that we would learn these lessons of your faithfulness and the beauty of your promises. And that we might know in a tangible way your presence hemming us in on all sides. And I pray these things for your glory, for the joy of your people. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.